Hello and welcome back once again to the Kickstocks Football Weekly. James Kavanagh here and I'm joined as ever by Kickstocks co-founder and football guru Victor Schwab. We bid farewell to yet another season as the curtains finally close on all of Europe's top flight divisions bar the Serie A. So what better to do than look back and reflect on some of the highs and some of the lows in arguably one of the sport's strangest years to date. Also on today's show, it was VAR's inaugural season in the Premier League and fair to say it has not been short on controversy this year. But just how much has it affected the final outcome of the league's positions up and down the table? All that and more in this week's pod. So Vic, here we are. Here we find ourselves at the end of a long, long season of football. Um, Premier League-wise, it's finally done. It's the longest season on record. It's lasted about 350 days since the start back in August of last year. Or was it August? Or the end of June? End of June of last year? No, no, no. August. August August 4th. August 4th. Yep. Yeah, as as always, uh, before we get stuck in, briefly discussing some of the news from around the scene. Yes. Around the footballing scene. Big news coming from UEFA. Apparently, a tender's been issued by UEFA for companies to assist it in its anti-piracy efforts. Uh, it's a process which is going to run until the 4th of September. UEFA has moved to further protect itself from piracy by signaling its intentions to enlist the services of an intellectual property rights management firm to combat illegal streaming and copyright violations. This is obviously coming in light of the uh, activities from pirate broadcast network ButQ out in Saudi Arabia, which was illegally streaming um, some of Bein Sports uh, pay TV channels. Um, so, in that sense, uh, are you a fan of uh, of uh, <laughs> illegal streams online? How do you watch your football? You pay you pay the uh, the, the the fee uh, charged by Ziggo? I don't know if uh, I can say everything out loud on the podcast here. <laughs> I've definitely done some illegal streaming in the past. Mm. I, I'm, uh, I find it difficult to believe if someone says they've never done that. I mean, but it, um, but nowadays, you know, I'm clean as a whistle. I uh, I pay my dues and I watch on the Ziggo. On record. Go. On record. On record. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say anything that's going to incriminate me either. Uh, I have been privy to an odd uh, stream online from time to time. Uh, what do you reckon the news... What do you, I mean, with terms of illegal streaming, look, we know it's illegal. But really, do you think it's the product of, you know, criminal activity? Or do you think, in your opinion, illegal streaming has emerged basically as a consequence of too much variety in channels on TV? So, for example, in the UK, you've got Sky and BT showing uh, football. Historically, you've had to pay for both packages to see all games. Extortionately high TV packages and also as a natural progression of a changing market. People just aren't subscribing to pay TV channels anymore. I think it's it's mainly just a way to get around of paying those fees, right? And um, the fact that the or the argument that there's too many uh, channels to choose from, you know, it's not really valid in my point because by by adding another stream to it, it only increases the the options for the viewer. Mm. And I think, you know, these these TV um, or these broadcasters, they pay so much to get the to get a hold of these rights for the for the leagues. That I can understand why they're why they're pissed off about uh, illegal streams, and I'm actually quite kind of surprised why that this is only coming to light now because yeah. it's been going on for long. It's been going on for ages, and uh, the Premier League have really cracked down on it uh, as of last season. UEFA looked like they seem to follow suit. Uh, in my opinion, I reckon it's a it's a product of um, changing consumer market. People just want everything in one place at the click of a button. Uh, you've got your Netflix for your shows. You've got DAZN as your uh, go-to shop for streaming sports um people just don't really want to pay membership for sky or bt anymore um it's just not the way the market is adapting most people our age and our demographic uh mid to early 20s and early 30s they tend to be doing everything online now as well so who knows maybe the end of pay tv as we know it's uh coming closer and closer one to watch in other news as well Newcastle United's proposed takeover by Saudi Arabian-backed consortium has been delayed, uh, mainly due to lack of clarity over who'd be in charge at the club. So this seems to be going on for ages, Vic. Uh, yeah. It was a while back when we first mentioned this. 16 weeks after the handover of documents were registered with the Premier League, uh, the deal is being scrutinised under its owners and directors test and it's understood that the English Premier League is seeking greater certainty as to who would have ultimate responsibility at St. James's Park. So... Um, poor, poor Newcastle fans, honestly. Yeah. Just when they thought the nightmare of Mike Ashley was finally over, another bump in the road. 
Yeah. No, I mean it's you know, I think it. I think it's 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 the problem of the of the Saudi Arabians who, you know, like at Manchester City was it was clear that um, that uh, there was one person who was going to be in charge, one owner of the club, and that was clear. Mansour. You know, Mansour, sorry, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah, Sheikh Mansour. Shake it, shake it, shake um, baby. Um, you know, and if if you can't portray that well to uh, to the uh, to the Premier League and to the FA. Yeah, then I understand why the Premier League, Premier League is being being difficult about it. You know, you need one uh, one responsible party for that. Do you think maybe Richard Masters listened to our pod and our debate, and they're actually taking into consideration the background of the owners that are looking? They to might be. The- they <laughs> might do. So uh, <laughs> shout out. No, the, the the problem is probably there's just too many people trying to put their fingers in every pie. Too many parties involved. You've got uh, British financier Amanda Staveley who's leading the bid. Then you've got the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, which is set to take eighty percent. Then you've got the Ruben Brothers as well. Uh, and the problem is, is is Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who, as we know, is the head of Saudi Arabia. It appears um, it's really hard to establish what his links are with the public investment fund. So no one really knows who is actually going to be the owner of Newcastle. So that's holding that up, along with their connections, obviously, to Butte Q and the illegal streaming. Um, so really interesting, though, apparently... Um, there's also been keen interest in Newcastle from an American businessman now called Henry Maurice. Uh, he's willing to offer £350 million for the club. Uh, and BBC Sport have apparently been told that the exclusivity clause held between Ashley and the Saudi back consortium has now come to an end. So if the deal does fall through with the Saudis, uh, this American bidder could come in and actually snap it from them. Yeah, I've never, it's the first time I hear his name, so... Um I'm not sure about his background. I'm sure, you know, obviously there needs to be a detailed background check on Henry Maurice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to see if there's any human rights violations there. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, cool. Good yeah. for them. Yeah, Let, let's see. One but to I watch mean, again. it's Mike Ashley who decides who he wants to sell to, right? Yeah, sure. I think Mike Ashley's just desperate to get rid of it now, though. Um, sooner the better, though, with the new season almost, well, it's going to be here not too long from now, in about a month's time. And lastly, moving on, before we crack on with uh, some of the season recap, uh, as most people listening to this will know, Wigan have been relegated from the championship following their 12-point deduction from the EFL for going financially insolvent. I just wanted to raise this story today because it's actually really interesting, some of the background behind it. Uh, They were bought back in May from a uh, Hong Kong-based fund called Next Leader Fund. They took control back in May. They were only owners of the club for about one and a half months until the club went financially bust. The reason this story's blown up so much is obviously it calls into question the EFL's fit and proper test, as we've discussed already. Um, but the pretty dramatic fall from grace um, has heightened speculation about this rumor, which was first aired after Rick Perry was Rick Perry, sorry, who's the chairman of the English Football League, was secretly filmed by a fan outside his home, suggesting that the takeover was subject to a betting scandal in the Philippines, where the owner who bought Wigan actually bet on the club being relegated and then decided not to fulfill his financial requirements once purchasing the club. If it's true, none of it's been confirmed. If it's true, that's got to be a huge, huge scandal, isn't it? Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah. then, you know, keywords there, if it's true. If it's true. It needs to be confirmed. <laughs> rumors, rumors. Rumors, rumors. But uh, no, that, would be, that would be a disgrace, an absolute disgrace. Mm. You know, and it's, it, you know, regarding, regarding their takeover in May, you know, it's tough to really make a big change in such a short time. Uh, a structural change that's almost impossible no um especially you know if you don't have time to make transfers or you don't have time to restructure the club because that's just impossible after sure. one and a half months so i don't know if they can blame the owners for that or the, you know well the, the problem essentially was just that no money came in the owners bought the club on the premise that they were going to invest a certain amount of money and the money just never showed up uh, yeah. and no one really knows why that's tough that's yeah. tough. but even then you know what can you do in one and a half months yeah pay your bills at least yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but look, ultimately, it probably says a lot about uh, the need for more financial clarity and tighter financial regulations in the modern game. And it does say a lot about the EFL's fit and proper test. Right. After that, moving on, let's put a bit of meat on the bone and talk about the juicy segment of this pod, which is a roundup of Serie A and Premier League. Let's do it. Let's do it. So yeah, the Serie A, Juventus uh, champions, ninth time in a row. Yeah, an incredible for- performance from Maurizio Sarri's men. I mean, big congratulations to them. I know that you're you're kind of disappointed, James. You would love to you would have loved to see someone else uh, win the Scudetto this year. I'm sure. I just I'm, I'm a fan of an underdog story. 
Yeah, which I is think... rich coming from United fan, but uh, I like an underdog story, and <clears throat> I, I never like seeing a league monopolized like it's been in Italy. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, there's some there's some beauty uh, to be found there that that the team can be so dominant for so long, um, and I think definitely in Juventus in Juventus's case in the in the Serie A case that has to do with other teams having you know been slacking for the past couple of years. This year there was finally some fight. It was exciting to to two or three games until the end, and I think next year you know if Inter can 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 do some nice things on the transfer mark if they can get some good signings and continue the road they've been going on with Antonio. Conte um, that they can surprise us and, and really uh, put a fight up to Juventus mm. it's also uh, quite funny I don't know if you saw this but Maurizio Sarri at least seeing the funny side of it and I, I saw a quote apparently he said if you guys won under me then you really must be good uh, in the face of all the criticism he's been getting from the Italian media recently uh, he's got some humour Maurizio he's got some humour and it probably goes to show that maybe it's even him either it's him admitting that they haven't played the best football but still won or it's maybe him uh, you know putting a middle finger up to all the media that have said they've not been good enough this year I would say number two yeah most likely <laughs> but uh, I mean the, the, the competition is still going on and especially you know what's exciting is the, is the top scorers competition uh, as we know Immobile and uh, and Cristiano Ronaldo really close to each other. The MVP actually of last game was Ciro Immobile. He went up 32.54%. And uh, he's really proving to want to uh, that he wants to win the Italian and possibly even the European Golden Boot. You know, he scored a hat trick against Lazio in their fi- or for Lazio in their 5-1 win against Hellas Verona, uh, pushing his tally up to 34 goals this season, uh, which equals Europe's top goal getter Robert Lewandowski. So um, a big, a big, uh, yeah, a big effort to win the Massive. European Golden Boot. Yeah, Cristiano, he could only get one goal in their championship victory against Sampdoria, so he now has thirty-one goals. Oh, only thirty-one. Yeah, Boom. only thirty-one. That uh, it's gonna be tough to see. Yeah, he needs to do something special to still win that title. And knowing Chris, you never know with Cristiano Ronaldo. He could always pull some uh, rabbit out of the hat. Uh, the LV- LVP of, La- of uh, Serie A round actually was from the same game. Keeper Boris Radunovic, he actually played his first game for Hellas Verona. And it was definitely one he hopes to forget soon. Oh, wow. Uh, had to concede five. He went down 47%. Oof, strong debut. Uh, he caused a penalty. He only had one save and only 50% of his passes were accurate. That's so a uh, shocker. <laughs> good, um, big Boris... Uh, <laughs> On to the next, I would Poor say. Boris, yeah. I mean, last uh, last podcast, we talked about Frank Ribéry and Robin Gosens. Uh, poor shout on my part, because Ribéry went down 4.15%, and Robin Gosens, he went down 0.28%. Sorry about that, listeners. Ah, uh, come uh, on. Frank, yeah. Frank, just for the nostalgia. Exactly. Have Ribéry in your Frank, team. You know, he's, he's, he's worth he's, it. Yeah, he's good merchandise there in your portfolio. Exactly. Uh, on the other hand... On uh, Alexis Sanchez scored another one, James, and I know you like that. He went up seven point four percent. And big Romelu Lukaku, he scored two, went, going up nineteen point two four percent in Inter's three 0 winning against Genoa. And that, uh, you know, for me, that begs the, or that asks the question: Did Manchester United make a mistake letting the two attackers go? I mean, obviously, big Romelu Lukaku having a great season, even though he ended up ten goals uh, plus or minus ten goals behind the the two top scorers. But, uh, you know, Sanchez showing, showing some form and scoring goals. You know, what can you say about that? Mm. Uh, to, to, to Sanchez's credit, he, I know he's clocked up a lot of assists in his last seven or eight games and a couple goals here and there. He's United haven't let him go just yet, so he is coming back. Uh, we'll see him in summer. Whether or not he stays, I don't know. Look, he could be a good player, but does he suit United? Not sure. Romelu Lukaku... Despite having the first touch of a brick wall, uh, he probably doesn't get the, the the credit he deserves. To be honest, he is a good striker. He is a good striker, and even at United, he got a lot of he got a lot of a lot of hate going his way. But he got twenty eight goals or so in his first season. Just he got just shy of that again this second season. Uh, he can score. He does find the net. Uh, he's a beast physically. He's quick. Um, maybe Serie A just suits his game better. I don't know. Was it a right fit at United? Again, I'm not sure. Either way, he's had a hell of a first season at Inter in the Serie A. So, yeah. does, does he not get the credit he deserves, do you think? I think he's at his place now in the Serie A at Inter. Yeah. And uh, if, if Conte can build a team around him or in, in really suiting him. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's not that the Premier League was a bad competition for him because he was playing there for so long, proving himself 
you know, scoring goals for Everton. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think he even broke the record for quickest player to fifty goals. So, yeah. Uh, or so maybe he didn't break the record, but he joined a very elite list of players who who hit that milestone before twenty one or something like that. So you know, it's it's clear that uh, that he can do something. The question is, you know, was United the best fit for him? Probably not. You know, if he's if he's at his place at Inter, then good for him. It probably makes a difference playing under a manager who really wants you as well. And there's no secret that Conte wanted him at Chelsea when he went to United. Yep. And now he's finally got his man and reaping the uh, exactly yeah so, reaping the uh, rewards. Yeah, interesting to see what happens with uh, with Alexis this summer. I think um, yeah, I mean this weekend we have we you know the last games of the Serie A, uh, not a lot to play for. Uh, Juventus playing Roma. I would say out of that game, you know. Look at the French guys. Adrian Rabiot from Juventus. He's been informed the last couple of games. Played really well. Um, scored a scored a nice goal a couple of games ago, and I think he might want to want to score another one. Uh, from Roma's side, Jordan Veretout. He scored both goals in a, in their two one win uh, over Fiorentina. You know, talented player. He's on loan from Fiorentina. Uh, at Roma, and I think Roma will, uh, will will want to make that purchase. And uh, actually, quite an unknown player, but he's he's quite talented. Um, also, you have Atalanta Inter this weekend. I think one to watch is definitely Victor Moses. He's proving uh, to be very dangerous on that right side uh, with his crosses, and uh, you know he's he's getting some assists in there. Um, yeah, I think he could maybe even get a goal, and if he keeps uh, attacking that right side. Uh, and from Atalanta's side, Papu Gomez. He's an expensive choice at 12,814 euros on Kicksocks, but he's in top form this season. He's definitely one of the best players of the Serie A, are, I would say. Are Atalanta the best team value for money to watch this season? And are they the most exciting team in Europe this in season? In the Serie A or Europe? In Europe. Well, I'll, I'll throw this at you. On average, Atalanta scored 2.6 goals and concede 1.25 goals per game. 69% of Atalanta's matches end with both teams scoring. Uh, their average total goals per game is nearly four. And in total, they have 96 goals this season in all competitions, conceding only 45 goals. That puts them as the highest scoring uh, team in Europe this yeah, season. That's crazy. And I think they also beat the Serie A record for most scoring team. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing season they're having so yeah, I would agree that they're the most uh, they're the most value for money team to watch the most entertaining team definitely and um, yeah we have to see what they can do next season if they can keep it up but uh, but big props to them big props yeah Love and, and lastly you know the game uh, to look out for is Napoli against Lazio if I were you I would not pick Immobile because Unless you think he'll score three or more goals again, seeing as the Kickstarter algorithm works, that you look at their form and he's got a comp- uh, his current matches compared to his last couple of matches, so it's a tough choice because he'll want to win that top score title, but will he score three goals again? That's tough. From Napoli's side, I'd go for Arkadius Milik. Um, He's not had the best of season, but he'll want to end on a high and end the season strong with a couple of goals. What's happened to Arkady Smilic? He was a really great prospect at Ajax. Went abroad. haven't really seen much of him since. I mean, he started off strong at Napoli, but then he got injured twice. Is it, is it an injury thing, do you think? I, I think so. I think so. And in my eyes, you know, we, we've, we've seen him at Ajax for a long time. He never had that that spark of a, of a world-class player. Sure. That, for example, Suarez had or, sure. or an Ibra. Uh, or an Ibra. Um, a class young. <laughs> good old class young. the hunter hunting season is open um, no he's, for me he's never had that obviously he's a talented player but um, uh, I mean and, you know Napoli fans are happy with him but uh, he needs to he needs to pick it up there's actually been a rumor that it, yeah, Juventus is interested in him as a striker so uh, but we'll talk about that later maybe we'll talk about the, that later in the transfer talks for sure but that's it that's it for uh, the Serie A roundup and the preview I mean uh, Enjoy the last couple of games of, of Serie A Soak competition. Soak it in. Soak it in. Two more games to go. Probably one by the time... Well, one more game to go by the time this podcast is aired. Soak it in while it lasts. Um, that's our roundup for the Serie A this week. Moving on, Premier League. Yeah, I mean, the Premier League, I think the matchups for the last game of the season was epic. Uh, Leicester against United and Chelsea against Wolves. Hollywood stuff. That's Hollywood it. stuff. I mean, uh, one point in between all three teams. Leicester and United on the same, the same goal difference. Yeah. yeah, props to the FA for uh, for fixing that. <laughs> but, uh, hey, James, congratulations, because Manchester United is, is flying into the Champions League next season. They Thank finished you. third, Chelsea yep. as well. Yep. Um, I think, they're, yeah, they're excellent form. 
They brought United to a to, yeah to commendable third place on the table. Seven wins, three draws, and one loss. Undefeated was, since Bruno's come in the team, which was in the FA Cup that loss um, since the Corona break. So good on Ole, good on uh, finding that form. Mm-hmm. You know, on the opposite side, Leicester has had terrible form after the Corona break. They in in the ten matches after the, the the break, they lost five matches and they only won two. Ridiculous collapse. Do you think uh, Brendan Rodgers should come in for more criticism over that? No, I don't. Because a fifth place with Leicester City is still absolutely amazing. But considering where they were, I mean, at one point, they were 10 points clear of Chelsea in third place. And they were 17 points clear of United at one point. And now they've gone and fallen below them. Um, and that's all basically been since the resumption. So do you think because of this affinity that we seem to have with Leicester, that crazy title-winning season 2016, there's still this mystique and magic around them, everyone kind of loves the club, do you think they get let off easy because of that? I mean, let's let's put it, if it were the other, the other way and Oli had been 17 points clear of Leicester and then he dropped into fifth come the end of the season, he'd be getting battered, wouldn't he? I think Manchester United and Leicester City are two different clubs. Two if, you, clubs, if you look at stature, squad-wise though, squad-wise, say there's not not too much between. No, them, no, no, no. I don't think so. But I, I think that lesser city season is not a regular season for them. No, sure. Fighting for Champions League spots, being in a Champions League spot for the most of the season, unless they finally take an Arsenal spot as a top six team. But then again, to go two episodes back to say <laughs> the conclusion on that one. Um, no, but so James, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I'll take all the credit. Exactly. <laughs> ja- Jamie Vardy, uh, even though Leicester didn't make the Champions League, still managed to get the top scorer title with 23 goals, beating Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Danny Ings with one goal. He is the oldest Premier League top scorer of all time at 33 years old. Wow. So uh, good on you, Jamie. Good on him. Yeah. And I think you know, if you look at the Chelsea game, you know Chelsea beat Wolves and Spurs got the draw. So Spurs will get the Europa League ticket above Wolves, which is a shame because they have had a terrific season. But, um, I mean, Spurs will be happy that they can at least play in Europe next season. And this might... What do you think? Do you think this saved Mourinho's job at Wire Lane? Mourinho's probably going to keep the job anyway. I assume they're going to give him another season. I just assume that. Even if they didn't get into Europe? Probably, yeah. Because he he lives off the reputation that he's Jose Mourinho. I suppose, who do you go out and get as a manager right now? One, which maybe I could put forward, but this was a debate I was going to ask you maybe slightly further down the line in this pod, but uh, would you look at an English manager, someone like maybe an Eddie Howe, who's been relegated with Bournemouth? Uh, you know, good manager, solid, works on a, sh- a sh- shoestring budget. Um, but, I mean, I'll ask you further down the line, but, I mean, what do you think Spurs' options would be? It's tough because you always have to, you always have to think about can you know, managing a club like Tottenham is different than managing a club like Bournemouth because mm. the expectations are so much higher. Mm. So a manager needs to be able to deal with that pressure. I'm not sure if Eddie Howe would be the man for the job. Obviously, talented, English. Um, I think the English, they love a good, successful English manager. So, do, 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 I mean, do you think English managers get looked over too much in the Premier League and is it an unattractive proposition for a top team in the UK to hire an English manager because they don't seem to get the top jobs anymore it always goes to foreign coaches do you think there's something just sexier about a foreign coach you think there's a lack of trust or magic behind English managers because you get great examples of Sean Dyche with Burnley I mean they've had a spectacular season finishing in the top half of the table Eddie Howe with Bournemouth has been solid since they've been in the Premier apart from this year uh Chris Wilder at Sheffield plays a brilliant brand of football by all accounts since they've come up. He probably wouldn't even get a look in at somewhere like a Spurs or even an Everton. Well, um, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Mm. But um, I do think there's something sexier about having a foreign manager who plays different style of football. English football is, especially if you if you, if you you come from the ranks and you build the ranks, there's, there's not many English managers who are known to play Spanish style attacking football, if you look, or German, uh, Gagan Press. Um you know, it's, it's, it's not really English, if you know what I mean. Hmm. So, but for example, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Frank Lampard, and I say Ole because he's, for me, he's basically he's an English manager because he, you know, <laughs> he played England in England. and uh, Speaks like, like a mank. Exactly. Um, he's one of our own, so. I think, we'll I think that the English would love to see a successful English manager, but I just don't think there are ones out there or ones who people believe to that they can handle the pressure. Maybe Frank Lampard could break that I, mold. I hope Franks. I hope Franks. Could break that mold. Frank Lamps. Yeah, I think it's a shame. I'd love to see more English managers getting a chance. Uh, I just think the Premier League being the 
the beast that it is so many owners also look at the marketability of a manager and english managers just aren't as marketable people want to see foreign coaches they just think they got a better style of football yeah. anyway moving on yeah arsenal uh, they they need to use this time off to really regroup they got eighth place with just two points more than last year's championship side sheffield united and that's just really poor, you know. With all due respect to Sheffield, who were glorious this season, an absolute joy to watch. But Arsenal, they need to regroup. They need to put their heads together, see what they can do. Because at this at this moment, you know, they're getting they're getting uh, they're getting beaten by Wolves, by uh, by Leicester as top clubs, which we mentioned in the last pod, um, and their rival Spurs, uh, United, Liverpool, Chelsea. So they need the to. They, they need to. Yeah, they need to uh, see what's going on because um, it can't go on this longer. Aston Villa, they managed to stay in, securing a point against West Ham, which was unfortunate for Bournemouth after a heroic last match they performed against Everton. Watford also came close, but then they lost in a thriller against Arsenal. Happy that Villa stayed in? I'm, I'm overjoyed with the fact that Villa have stayed in, honestly. I've got quite a few mates with Villa fans. I've been, uh, I've been to Villa quite a few times to see some matches. Can't say it's the most <laughs> magical football I've ever witnessed. <laughs> I think I went about four times. I saw one goal and it was a penalty. Um, one goal Villa scoring, that is. Um, but love the club. Really historic. Great fan base. And the Premier League needs clubs like Villa to stay in. So, sorry Watford, but I'm afraid. No particular affinity to you. Um, yeah, definitely happy to see Villa stick around. Let's see what they can do. Yeah. If we look at the players of the season... Uh, uh, just before we move on, just before we move on, sorry. I wanted to ask uh, two things. First of all, Burnley Football Club finished 10th in the Premier League with 54 points. It's happened fairly frequently that Sean Dyche has uh, brought Burnley um, to at least around mid-table, if not top half. But no one seems to bat an eyelid. Does Sean Dyche get the credit he deserves for what he has done this season at Burnley Football Club? I think this would be a good good uh, manager to try out at Tottenham Hotspur. Sean Dyche? Yeah. Or Great even English, Arsenal. A good English coach to go for. For sure. But this is what I mean. So despite how successful he's been on a shoestring budget at Burnley, how would the fans react if Tottenham or Newcastle was, uh, or Arsenal sorry, were to appoint him as their manager? Uh, do you think the fans would be happy with that? I'm not sure. It's no. not a sexy signing, is no, it? Again, not. I think it's... No, just... it's not. No. But undeniably, he must be a good manager. He must have something about him. Yeah, but it's, it's, the difference is really big, though, managing a club like Burnley or managing a club mm-hmm. like Tottenham Hotspur, with all due respect to Burnley. Yeah, But course. like I said, the expectations are so much so different. But you never know unless you give someone the chance, right? That's true. And, and every manager has to take that step eventually. But if you're looking from a fan's perspective, you'd, you'd rather have a foreign coach who, who coached a team in the top flights of another league mm. coaching your team. But then, what's, what's more valuable? I mean, a coach getting first in the Portuguese league or a manager that's consistently been in the Premier League, knows the Premier League inside and out, and actually with a real small team like Burnley has managed to make No, I agree with 10. you. I agree with you. There's, you know, that's, there's, it's, it's tough to mm, say. But I'm just saying from a fan's point of view, the sexiness is, is definitely uh, yeah, a part it's a factor. Of it. yeah. It's a factor. And also just another and, one. And, and regardless of his looks, but Sean Dyche is not a sexy man. No, but that, <laughs> that voice though, that voice could be sexy though. <laughs> Um, and then just to bring it back a little bit real quick one who's had a better season Ole or Lampard you know they both came in I have in to say Frank Lampard absolutely. Frank Lampard yeah, 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 bigger sure. achievement finishing yeah. fourth with that Chelsea squad who finished third last season under Sarri 100% no transfers in two transfers. they did windows. have the transfer embargo um, especially in the beginning you're showing the, you know showing the football uh, that he played which was well managed clean Nice attacking football. Obviously, there were ups and downs, but it's it's so tough if you can't strengthen your squad. Mm. And um, so, definitely Frank Lampard. And okay. that has you know what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done at United, especially the especially after the Corona break, because before that it was it was nothing to write ho- at home about because it was it was it wasn't great. So definitely props for him for finishing strong, but the the overall accomplishment of Frank Lampard is 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 better for in in my eyes. Fair enough. MVPs of the season. MVC, MVPs of the season. Yeah, the Football Writers Association, they named Jordan Henderson as Player of the Year. But for me, that was definitely someone else. Um, you mentioned him last year as a golden, a golden ball contender, or last podcast. Kevin De Bruyne, 13 goals, 20 assists, 33 chances created. Mm. He is the only player to give 20 or more assists in one season in two different leagues. In his Wolfsburg 14-15 season, he had 21 assists. Even that, besides the hard stats such as goals and assists, I think KDB is always... Yep. His impact on the game is just undeniable. He has this vision and 
you know, with his with his impeccable passing, he can put someone for the goal out of nowhere, and he decides the tempo of the game yeah. so well Agreed. that he's so incredibly valuable to to yeah. how Man City play, uh, how attractive they play, and how dominant they play. Yeah. He won he won the Playmaker of the Year award. He equaled Henri's record of twenty assists in a single season. How crucial is it for City that they have Champions League next season to retain him? And how big of a factor uh, is it keeping him at the club, having Champions League oh, next year? Absolutely. It's massive. It's massive. Even even from a neutral fan's perspective, you want to see a player like that play at the highest level. So even though I'm a Manchester City fan, I would feel I would think it was kind of a shame if Manchester City didn't play Champions League and he didn't play at Man City because we wouldn't we wouldn't see him at the highest stage. So mm-hmm. in that aspect it's 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 vital. And I think a player like that, he also wants to show himself and show his skills at uh, at the highest level. For sure. So, um, I mean, there were some honorable. Ben- Sorry to interrupt, but there were some. Uh, for me, he was the, he was the most impactful player in the Premier League with some honorable mentions such as Sterling, Henderson. You know, who, who, he's not the most glorious player, or the most most glamorous player, so to speak. Mm. But um, so solid. Van Dijk, of course. Trent Alexander Arnold, who, who some people are even saying is the best right back the Premier League has ever known. Early doors, but he's certainly looking like he's on that trajectory. Which is crazy. And let's not forget Vardy because, you know, top scorer of the league should always be mentioned. That's the thing. So so Jordan Henderson won the Football Writers Association Award for Player of the Season. Um, I can understand the decision. Uh, obviously, the story, the narrative around Liverpool Football Club, the fact that he was the captain, the one that really drove that team forward. He wasn't the best player skill-wise, but... What he contributed on the pitch, off the pitch, his leadership, fantastic. You know, football football writers love that. In your opinion, obviously, uh, I wouldn't say undeserved, but you probably would have picked uh, Kevin De Bruyne over him. I, I wouldn't even have picked uh, Henderson as the most valuable Liverpool player. Yeah, well, arguably not as well, arguably not. Um, but one thing that was a bit criminal, I thought, Jamie Vardy didn't even make the list for front runners for that. Is that, I mean... <sighs> Do you agree with that? No, he's top scorer of the league. He's got to be mentioned, doesn't he? I think the top scorer of the league should always be mentioned, especially yeah. if you help Leicester to a position. You know, yeah. Obviously, they, at thirty-three they, they, years old, they didn't come. They didn't get Champions League, but you know how he, the impact he made for them and putting them in the top flights of the Premier League. That should be enough to even mention him. Absolutely, just goes to show how much football journalists actually know. Exactly. And another notable mention. David Silva played his last game at the Etihad after 10 years of service. Uh, brilliant service, one some would say. In fact, almost all would say. Um, it's a shame he didn't get the send-off he deserves in front of all the fans. Um, he clapped his way off the pitch as if it were a full stadium. But uh, yeah, a shame to see that he didn't actually get the send-off he, he, he so merited. How much is he going to be missed as a player at Manchester City? Oh, he's going to be missed massively. I was actually wanted to, I, I wanted to talk about him in the player to watch next season. Mm. But... Um, He's going to be missed massively, but we'll get to it because the player to watch next season is, is someone who might be able to replace him. Oh, okay. But let's first go to the biggest surprise of the season. And for me, that was definitely Danny Ings from Southampton. Would agree. He scored 22 goals, only one less than the league score, or top scorer Vardy, and more than Sterling, Sané, Salah, Kane, Rashford, and the list goes on. He scored every 128 minutes. Uh, which I think is just incredible at a club at Southampton. Uh, everyone thought that his that his failed transfer to Liverpool that he would be over, but you know, good old Ingsy has shown that he's very much alive. <laughs> and I, you know, let's see if he can continue this form uh, onto next season, or maybe even uh, if he will make a, a transfer to a bigger side. Yeah, I mean, other other surprises this season were you know Nick Poe from Burnley, who's had uh, probably one of the best goalkeepers this season. Didn't win the Golden Glove. Ederson won that, but still, Nick Pope is 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 is, is definitely up there in, in goalkeeping perspective. Vardy, you know, still a surprise that someone yep. that age can still perform that well. Yep. Uh, I think the Sheffield players. I, I I couldn't even mention one, but all of them, uh, eighth place or ninth place. Unbelievable. Uh, great. Jack Relish. I think he had a great season. Yep. He'll definitely be moving. Um, yeah, and 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 I would throw Mason Greenwood in that list as well. Absolutely. Uh, only only if you were a United fan would you see what this kid was capable of before he actually took center stage in the Prem. But to come in in your debut season at 18 years of age and clock 18 goals for the season, one goal for every year of your life, that's um, that's pretty impressive as well. For sure, for sure. Now we go on to the biggest disappointments of the season. I actually want to mention... I want to mention two players. One is, uh, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast, and that's David Luiz. David. Uh, 
Arsenal fans were probably hoping for a defensive revelation when David Luiz signed with them last <laughs> August, but nothing was further from the truth. In his 33 games, he caused five penalties, two errors that led to a goal, lost possession on average 9.2 times a game, got five yellow and two red cards. What a man. And besides that, he just looks like 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 a spider on roller skates when he's in Arsenal's defense. He just He's, he's everything but a stable centre-back. So, mm. uh, sorry Arsenal fans, but this is not the signing you were hoping for. Um, another big letdown this season for me was uh, Kepa Ariza Balaga, who was the who was the most expensive keeper in the world, but he had a poor poor season. And um, you know, rumor has it that Chelsea are on the prowl looking for a replacement keeper, and they are in their right to do so because uh, just to throw some stats out there for you. He had the worst save percentage in Premier League history, really, from players that have played more than ten games, with only fifty four point five percent. But yo. He, in the in the rank in the all time ranking he's seven hundred and thirtieth. So uh, not bad cool. there. That he conceded eight cool. percent of Chelsea's Premier League goals since nineteen ninety two, just in two years. <laughs> and that's outrageous. and this one I thought was interesting. That's for, outrageous. For fourteen of the forty seven goals he conceded, he didn't move. Really? So for thirty percent of the goals he he conceded, he didn't move at all. Is that is that that the shot is amazing, or you know that he's nailed to the ground? But he didn't even make an effort for thirty percent of the goals. That just seems see. to be his his default mode when uh, he's panicking. I mean, when Sari asked him to come off the pitch, he didn't move either. So who knows? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so maybe that's it. But definitely, you know, if if I was Chelsea, I would definitely be looking for uh, for a replacement for him. If we look at the players to watch next season, um, you mentioned it. David Silva is leaving. Who's going to replace him? Of course, it's Phil Foden. Um, the boy from Stockport will be the main man that Man City fans will look at to replace Silva. Obviously, uh, the Spanish wizardry will be gone and, and Foden is first in line to take over in his place. The question is, can he re- reproduce some of the magic that Silva has produced over the years? He has the talent, but can he be decisive in the big games? We can only wait and see. Big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. Capable of it. And, and the other player that I think is there to watch next season, and you mentioned him already, is Mason Greenwood. So am I stealing all your lines? You are stealing all my lines. <laughs> God damn it, James. But the question is, can he be one of the top three forwards for United next season? I mean, what do you think? I think he's going to be one of the top three forwards in the league next season if he if he keeps up this run of form and if he gets picked on a regular basis. Either way, England's future is looking bright. They England's some future, top talents, uh, England's future is looking pretty groovy, baby. Can't can't deny that. So, but uh, um, those were the the players of the season in my point of view, James. So you've done MVPs and LVPs, Vic. I want to bring in another another potential MVP or MVP. It's hard to believe that this was VAR's inaugural season in the Premier League. Uh, it feels like it's been ages since it's been around. Obviously, the fact that it's been the longest season on record as well. Um, who are the biggest winners from VAR this season, though? So, actually, the University Campus of Football Business over in Wembley uh, did a. Uh, they kept track of every VAR goal decision intervention made over the season to understand exactly who benefited and suffered the most from its implementation. If, if we were to actually look at the league without VAR this season, it, the composition of the table actually looks quite different. So, Manchester United apparently would have dropped down into fifth. Wolves would have actually qualified for Champions League football and been in fourth. Chelsea would have gone up to third. Liverpool would have still won the league. City in second. And the list goes on and on and on. But Watford, Bournemouth and Norwich would have still been relegated. So, VAR, first season in the Prem. Has it been a winner? Has it been a fail? What's been your impression, Vic? I think the impact obviously was huge. But it's hard to argue with decisions if they're if they're right. Mm. I mean, But that's the problem. They've not always been... I guess it's hard to say they've not always been right. Football's such a subjective game, but VAR has really changed moments and decisions in games that have been so controversial purely because they've been so... Um, controversial. Well, yeah, that, but they've been very subjective decisions. They, they, VAR reverses decisions that aren't clear-cut. Um, so what needs to change? What needs to improve? What would you say? Communication of decisions and decision-making, I think. Hmm. To more clarity in the decision-making process, exactly. the referee in the van and the referee on the pitch. Does that involve maybe hearing the dialogue of what's going on? Does that involve? I, I'm not sure about it, hearing the dialogue, but I think they made they made a big change already by by um, posting it on the screens in the stadium 
why they're checking in the first place, if it's a penalty check, if it's a red card check. Mm. But I think they could even give more detail about the specific issue, you know, by naming the player, naming the moment, and naming why there's there's discussion about mm. it. What about what about showing on screen what they're looking at in the VAR? Yeah, that, that could definitely be be helpful. That mm. could definitely be helpful. Like, the, like they do in rugby, for example. Yeah, exactly. So I think part of part of why they're, the, the fans are so unhappy with VAR is also because... There's there's not enough clarity in no. what's going on behind the scenes, no. and fans only hear about it or read about it afterwards. Um, why that referee or why the VAR made that decision? So I think if that's more on the spot, there'll be more consensus of okay or understanding why that decision was made. Yeah, but it's it's tough because you you always got to remember the the pace of the game and and the energy of the game, and you don't want to ruin that by by stopping too often or explaining too often you know others be you'd be explaining the whole time and there's there's a fine line and there's a balance that needs to be found in that respect so is it one of those where it would just take time trial and error and over time it will come good and they'll get it right she to stick with it. i mean var's not going anywhere let's be honest so they just need no. to find ways to improve it no and and i think what also needs to improve is is the clarity of when var needs to be used yeah because you're not going to use it for every foul or for every throw in corner kick it needs to be clear for serious for serious offenses or penalties or uh, offsides that's when VAR needs to be used and for nothing else no no agreed agreed because you want to keep the energy of the game going 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 and 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 referees should use the monitor more as well surely in the prem i mean this is one thing that they've been strictly told not to do for time reasons but surely the referee ultimately has to be the ultimate decision maker on the pitch no yeah agreed so just for moving on then Jurgen Klopp won the League Manager Association's Award for Manager of the Season. Uh, in doing so, it means he's actually broken the record for the most Barclays Premier League Manager of the Month awards in a single season. He won it an unprecedented five times, surpassing Pep Guardiola's four from 2017-18. Worthy winner? Of Manager of the Season? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I don't know if he's worthy of winning, um, of beating Guardiola's... Uh, <laughs> For four, four manager of the month, month record, because I I still think that season was incredible, mm. but so was Liverpool's this season. So it's it's tough to say. I think definitely the best manager of the season. You could put Sheffield's manager up there. You could put you could put uh, yeah Leicester not that much, but Wolves you could put up there. Nuno Espirito Santo. I was just going to say. I was just going to say hypothetically, Chris Wilder. Uh, Sheffield were on track I mean, and I mean well on track to make Champions League football before Corona happened come the break they've not been the same sort of informed team since football resumed sadly so they've dropped down the table hypothetically though if they were to have qualified for Champions League this season and finished fourth would that have trumped what Klopp has done at Liverpool this season I think so yeah I think that step of promoting from the championship and getting Champions League football is incredible yeah, yeah. so Obviously commendable what Jurgen Klopp has done, but it's different, different. Mm, that would have been than, different class, wouldn't it? It would have been different gravy. Different, different yeah, gravy. Yeah, because I mean, cause, <laughs> you, 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 <laughs> you say that. I've never heard that before. Yeah, because Jurgen Klopp, I guess we've got the whole romantic story of the fact that he's been at Liverpool what four or five seasons now. We've seen the journey, we've seen the progression, we've seen what he's how he's really imprinted his personality on that whole team throughout the whole club. Sheffield, unless you really follow the Championship closely, uh, you will have only known about them really this season. Um, but to have seen their progression as well, to get from where they were when Chris Wilder first went in there to where they are now, yeah, honestly, incredible stuff. Fantastic. I mean, stuff. we talked about it, how difficult it is to promote from the championship and perform. Yeah. So only two clubs in the past years that you know that we've been following yeah. the Premier League have done it, and that's yeah. Wolves and Sheffield. So. And Chris Wilder for me is another one who, in my opinion, should have his name in the ring in the hat for a top top job in England. Uh, you and I think you could discuss him in in the same leagues as the Spurs or for an Everton or for an Arsenal. Somewhere. So I disagree with that. I think he needs to perform another year with Sheffield to to really okay. to really show that. I mean, he started with Claudio Ranieri, won the league with Leicester. Next season he performed pretty shite with Leicester, mm. got fired. Mm. So yeah, I mean, you, it's all about consistency. Yeah. It, it is all about consistency. So yeah. I would say Nuno Espirito Santo his performance over the years has been really solid. So yep. definitely one to look at, I think. For sure. Right, so that's the final Premier League roundup for this season. That's all a bit it's all a bit sad, isn't it? Well, we don't have long to wait. It's 12th of September, they're starting again. Wow, so, what uh, am I talking about? Exactly. It's not going to be that long. Plus Champions League, mate. Champions so, League. <laughs> so uh, as always, last, part, last segment of the pod, we're going on to Transfer Talk.
So Vic, I'm gonna list a couple of transfers, and I'd like you to give me a rating out of ten based on the likelihood of those deals happening. Yes. Uh, a notorious David De Gea to Paris Saint Germain. What do we think? Uh, I think now that United is playing Champions League, that that's a two. A two? Yeah, I don't think it's likely he gets ridiculous wages at United. Not that he, not saying that he wouldn't get those at uh, Paris. I mean, playing Premier League is a lot nicer than playing in the French League, with all the respect. And they're playing Champions League, so nothing to complain about. Okay. Wilfred Zaha to Everton? Oh, I would love to see that happen. Be I would a great love transfer, to see wouldn't that happen. it? Yeah. I, I love Wilfred Zaha. I'm, I think it's such a shame what happened to him at United. And mm, too soon. Too went, soon. Went too early. But and you shouldn't have shagged Moise's daughter either. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't just a rumor, that's actually true. Is that true. confirmed? It is confirmed. I've heard it from good authority from the United... Uh, fan base that uh, that actually happened well, it might be why Moyes left as well but it might be but uh, let's say <laughs> uh, I mean it would be a nice transfer I think it'd be a step up Everton are really seeming that they want to invest in the club and, and you know pay the big bucks to, to start fighting for the top top uh, positions in the Premier League it hasn't really happened this season but uh, they have the manager and they have the squad to do so, so I would say seven yeah and he's too good for Crystal Palace uh, yeah. all due respect to Crystal Palace but he's he, he deserves to be in a, in, a, in a at least a top top six club Ben Chilwell to Chelsea so there's serious talks, I think. Serious talks. And Ben Joel's a good player. Yeah, very counts. good player. I very really solid. like him. like the look of him. He reminds me of uh, a good old Leighton Baines. Yeah. Yeah. You know, who's been so solid, one of the most solid left-backs in the Premier League. So consistent. For, for So consistent for Everton. But, I mean, the, what they're saying in the news is that he's too expensive. What do they want? 80, 80 million pounds for him, Leicester? Uh, so it would be something in that region. But a lot. But Chelsea have been under a transfer embargo. They've not spent a penny in the last uh, year or so. I don't know, if they're, gonna, I don't know if they're going to spend that much money for them, for Ben Chilwell. I think they might choose the cheaper option, which is Douglas Fico from Ajax. Who, also uh, not a bad signing. No, definitely not a bad signing, who, who they can get for £25 million. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's 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 the problem as well. It's it's very hard for Premier League teams to do business between each other, isn't it? Because they know what kind of money they've got exactly. in reserve, so exactly. they can they can almost double the fee. So purely based on that, he's too expensive. I would say th- uh, three. Okay, your boy Nicolas Otamendi to Real Betis. I've seen El General. El General. El General. I would hope so. I think Otamendi is a poor player. I uh, I don't rate him that much. I me neither. I think he makes too many mistakes. He's too reckless. He's not the kind of defender you want uh, as a Pep Guardiola on Man City side. He's like he's, he's for me. He's like the Argentinian Phil Jones. Bit reckless. Bit clumsy. This is really he's just low. got a better style. He doesn't pull so, so many funny faces on camera. But I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far, James. But I think let's be real with this. We wouldn't have either of them in our team. Let's no, just say exactly. <laughs> let's say let's say a seven. Seven? Yeah. Okay. Philippe Coutinho to Arsenal. Philippe Coutinho is a bit of a weird situation right now. Um, by all accounts, good player. Um, Everyone knows he is. Yeah. yeah, he's been to some top clubs recently. I mean, Bayern, Barca, he was at Liverpool, obviously. He's performed reasonably well at all of them, but none of these clubs seem to want to keep a hold of him. What no. do you think is going on there? It's strange, because at Liverpool, he was top, top man. So... Um, and then at Barcelona, you know, obviously Barca fans have high standards and high expectations, but by all accounts, he didn't perform badly. And even at Bayern, when I saw him playing in, in a fair few games, he wasn't getting picked towards the end. But at the start of the season, he was playing some good football. So, is it But to Arsenal, mm, I, think it, I think it could be exactly what Arsenal needs. Uh, a top playmaker, he knows the Premier League. They'd have to get rid of Ozil, wouldn't they? Yep, absolutely. So... If I was Arsenal, I'd focus more on getting a defender, or at least keeping Aubameyang yeah. and getting a defender. Get you know, defender. they need to sort out. Their They've defense. been crying out for a defender, a, set, a, a good, good, solid centre back, maybe even two. For the last six years, they've needed that, and they haven't addressed it. No, yep. so, absolutely. So ratings out of ten, though, in likelihood, six. Okay. No, for, yeah, we'll leave it in the middle five. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned him already, but uh, add uh, Arcadius Milik to Juve. We think. I would say. Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a far-fetched rumor. I don't know if Juve would only take him for the bench. Definitely not as a starter. I could see him going, so I would say six. Six. Yeah. Adam Lallana has gone to Brighton. That's confirmed yeah. transfer. What did you make want, of that? I just wanted to, uh, to 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 put that out there. It's confirmed. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great transfer for Brighton. Yeah. I think Lallana's a good player. He's, he's, he's only... Uh, the only thing is nine Premier League starts in the last three seasons. No, I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not Liverpool quality. 
he's just you know he just couldn't cut it with those top class Liverpool players but I think for Brighton he's a great signing he's, he a, he's, a, he's a solid player and just not good enough for the top of the Premier League as much on the pitch uh, by all accounts off the pitch as well if you hear everything that Jurgen Klopp and his teammates have been saying about him since he left they say that he's been a bright spark around the training camp he's very good with younger players coming through and he always brings a lot of energy to trainings so it might just be the kind of leadership that Brighton need um, one last one I wanted to get a manager involved uh, Eddie Howe to another club so Bournemouth going down is this now the time where Eddie Howe has to reflect and say you know what it's been a great ride while it lasted I think he's been at Bournemouth for around 11-12 years now is it time for him to go on a passage new and go to another club if so is going abroad and going to a top club an option maybe see that's I find English players or managers abroad that's not a success story no I don't think so no I mean Brian Robson at a, at a Barca? Well, Bobby, Bobby Robson, sorry. The fact that you have to go back to, the, what is it, 1990s, <laughs> beginning 2000s, whatever, what is it? Yeah. Long oh, time uh, ago, uh, either Roy, way. Roy Hodgson at Marmo, yeah. won the league <laughs> several times back in the 90s. <laughs> See, the fact that there's no clear cut. Or, or what about uh, what about McLaren at a Twente? At Twente, yeah. He won the league yeah, of yeah. Twente. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, he's a legend. He's a Twente yeah, legend. He, he was coaching a... <laughs> <laughs> it's coaching a corrupt club I'll beep at the it, time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> absolutely corrupt at the time. Who, uh, who, who you know, they they just had terrible investors. He, he he probably had one of the best interviews I think I've ever heard. Though is the one where you know where he put on the Dutch accent. Do you know the one I'm talking yeah, about? Exactly. He said, yes, uh, we played some very good football. Very good uh, football. The team was playing fantastic, in, uh, and he got slated in the English media for that. Absolutely slated for putting on. I the, love your Dutch accent though. By the oh, way, thanks, man. Uh, I've been living here uh, long welcome. enough now uh, to perfect <laughs> the Dutch accent. But I just think England pl- England players, England managers, they they belong in England. Um, at least that's that's where they where they shine. Even with English players, it's tough to find really successful or a long list of successful English players in uh, foreign countries. Mm. So if I look at the Premier League table now, where yeah, where could Eddie Howe go? I think all a lot of teams are, are already taken. He could yeah. possibly you know take over Newcastle, but yeah, all, mean, all the teams in the top half seem pretty much set with their managers. And um, I think I do think he's too good for. Um, for a championship, I, I hate he could, to see him in he could, a could go to a villa. That could be a reasonable step, you know. Nigel, P- um, not Nigel Pearson, with uh, Dean Smith, they've not been that good this season, to be honest. Huge, big club, historic, would definitely be a step up from Bournemouth. Maybe the stepping stone he needs. I don't know. Villa could be a cool club, big club, yeah. definitely. Let's hope. All right, well, that's it for this week. That's it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, just to remind you that over in two weeks I think it's the time I think that's the last podcast of the season it is of the official season what does that mean that's going to mean that oh, you'll be sitting in a Manchester City shirt oh, in front of me God. and I will be loving every second of I it. thought you'd forgotten about that and depends on how how, how mild I'll be but who knows you might have a moustache you might have, you might not <laughs> so stay tuned for that and that's two weeks from now stay tuned for that but yep yeah, so something to look forward to especially from my end Hope you guys have enjoyed this week's edition of the Football Weekly Podcast from Kickstocks. As always, it's been a pleasure bringing this to you. Honor's been all mine, Vic. It's been such an honor, James. And we'll see you guys next week. All the best. Take care.